Morning, church. As I said here, Steve and I is the only ones here this morning, and uh, it's just kind of still kind of strange for me not to look and see faces out there. Uh, but one thing about it, I don't have to see any of you sleeping, so that's that's a good thing as well. Uh, to start off, I, I wanted to share something with you that uh, a good friend of ours over in Illinois sent uh, this morning. If I can get it going here. I'm not much of a phone person. But it reminded her of me. This is from Tammy Babs over in Westville, Illinois. It goes like this. Baby crying on plane. Guy beside me. Can there be anything worse than a baby crying on a plane? Me pulling out my kazoo. Let's find out. So I, uh, I, th- I thought that was uh, that was pretty apropos, I guess, for me. And uh, my ca- canoe canoe playing, kazoo playing. So I know you guys, uh, some of you like it, maybe some of you don't. But uh, here's something to think about. I'm not going to quit it. So <laughs> Tyler's message this morning is how to tear down walls. Some walls seem set in concrete and impossible to budge. But if history teaches us anything, it teaches us that no matter how intimidating or long-standing, every wall will ultimately fall. None will last. The ruins of ancient walls are strewn in the rubble of crumbled empires, Egypt, Greece, Rome, Israel, Jordan. You travel throughout the Middle East and you see pretty much ruins ruins everywhere. All were once imposing world powers whose cities were protected by formidable walls, and now they are simply scenic spots and on a travel brochure for you to go to visit. As the true God explains what was at this place, and after a while, they all look the same. No wall looms as dramatically in a lot of our minds as the Berlin Wall. For 28 years, it divided East and West Berlin difference between communism and capitalism. It's dressed across the city like an ugly gash in the city. It's barbed wire forming cruel stitches and great masses of concrete seemed immovable. The thing about it is separated family and friends. There are countless stories of people escaping from East Germany into the West. Tunnels, hot air balloons, all kinds of things. Kites. Some made it and some didn't. Some were killed, some were captured. Uh, the Stasi, which was East German secret police, were, were ruthless and, and really brutal. brutal. And there's a lot of terrible stories that, that came out of that, actually. On June 12, 1987, President Ronald Reagan delivered this speech in West Berlin. Let's watch. And now, now the Soviets themselves may, in a limited way, be coming to understand the importance of freedom. We hear much from Moscow about a new policy of reform and openness. Some political prisoners have been released. Certain foreign news broadcasts are no longer being jammed. Some economic enterprises have been permitted to operate with greater freedom from state control. Are these the beginnings of profound changes in the Soviet state? Or are they token gestures intended to raise false hopes in the West or to strengthen the Soviet system without changing it. We welcome change and openness, for we believe that freedom and security go together, that the advance of human liberty, the advance of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. There is one sign the Soviets can make that would be unmistakable, 
that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. On November 9th, 1989, the wall started to crumble. It collapsed without even one shot being fired. It looked something like this in this clip. imposing, but through a small band of men who were willing to trust God for the impossible. That wall also came tumbling down in Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. Other walls are less tangible. Sometimes they appear equally impossible to budge, though. The wall of a critical spirit, the wall of a stubborn will, the wall of an offended friend, relationship walls, the walls that have been built over years between a husband and a wife, between parents and children, between best friends, and it goes on and on and on, and various kinds of walls that most definitely need demolished. And today we see the wall of racial trouble, racial hate, racial anger, and it, it, it definitely needs demolished. You and I now, as we watch the news, we see the problems that's causing. The eighth chapter of Esther is going to teach us some valuable lessons about walls and how to overcome them, even those that appear impenetrable. Whether you're facing a Berlin wall or a wall around somebody's hearts, remember this. There is no wall so strong that God is not stronger still. Here's some walls that fell in Esther's day. There is no sense... There is no scene of so dark that God cannot brighten it. There is no writing so permanent that God cannot change it. And there is no heart so hard that he cannot soften it, even if that heart resides in the most powerful person on earth. First, we see the wall 
of an unchangeable heart. King Ahasuerus, who we've been talking about, had a vast empire. Esther 1. His word was law, which gave him absolute power over all the people in 127 provinces, as I said before, that stretched from India to Ethiopia. The same influential man had promoted, as we remember from the story, the Jew-hater Haman, chapter 3, who, who devised a plan to exterminate all the Jews and, and, and collect all of their property and all of their money, a plan that the king had ratified in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. And yet in Esther 8, 1 through 4, we witness an absolute amazing thing. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther and Mordecai. They came before the king, for Esther had disclosed what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken away from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther sat Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king, fell at his feet, and wept, and imposed him to avert the evil scheme of Haman the Agagite and his plot which he had devised against the Jews. And the king extended the golden scepter to Esther, so Esther arose and stood before the king. So the king's heart had been changed from one that gave the Jews into Haman's hands to one that gave Haman's estate into the hands of two Jews. It's ironic in a sense. The walls around a person's heart can come down no matter how high or how hard or how long they've been there. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. No heart is so hard that God cannot break through it. And if he wants to tear down a wall, it doesn't matter whether that person is your boss, your mate, your neighbor, or king of the Medo-Persian Empire. God can do that. Next, we see an irrevocable edict, as we were talking about there earlier. Although the king's heart was softened and Haman had been put to death, another wall still stands for Esther and Mordecai and the Jews, and they have to confront it, the royal edict that is still in effect. Once it comes out of the king's mouth, once the king's ring is on it, it's sealed and it cannot be changed. In Esther 8, in verses 5 through 8, we read these words. Then she said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor before him, and the matter seems proper to the king, and I am pleasing in his sight, let it be written to revoke the letter devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. <coughs> Excuse me. For how can I endure to see the calamity shall, which shall befall my people? And how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? So King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given the house of Haman to Esther, and him that have hanged on the gallows, because he has stretched out his hands against the Jews. Now you write to the Jews as you see fit in the king's name, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For a decree which is written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring may not be revoked. The king's response was extraordinary, especially in light of the law of the Medo-Persians that makes royal edicts irrevocable. You can see that again in Daniel 6. And yet that wall crumbled in the face of yet another edict. So we start reading in verse 9 through 14 in Esther 8. So the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, that is the month of Savan, 
on the 23rd day, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and the princes of the provinces which extended from India to Ethiopia, 120 provinces. To every province according to its script, and to every people according to their language, as well as to the Jews according to their script and their language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, and sealed it with the king's signet ring, and sent letters by couriers on horses, riding on steeds sired by the royal stud. Then the king granted the Jews who were in each and every city the right to assemble and to defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate the entire army of any people or province which might attack them, including children and women, and to plunder their spoil. On one day in the provinces of King Ahasuerus, the 13th day of the 12th month, that is the month of Adar, a copy of the edict to be issued as law in each and every province was published to all the peoples so that the Jews should be ready for this day to avenge themselves of their enemies. The couriers hastened and impelled by the king's command went out riding on the royal steeds and the decree was given out in Susa, the capital. So since the edict of Haman could not be revoked and the king allowed Esther and Mordecai to draft another one, their edict did not annul the first one, per se, but it effectively annulled it by giving the Jews the right not only to defend themselves, but to take action against whoever was attacking them, actually, is the point. This countermeasure put fear in the enemies of the Jews and averted genocide. Well, maybe this morning you can identify with Jews living under the edict of extermination. Have you felt the cold, hard wall of some powerful person has erected or erected around you, isolating and intimidating you? You know, the bricks of that wall might have been letters or lawsuits or liberals, statements in the newspaper even. They may have been shifts against your reputation or slurs against the color of your skin or slander against your character. They may have been left you crumbled in a helpless heap, bruised and broken with your bleeding fist pounding against that wall. If so, this paragraph in Esther should come out as, as this edict should encourage you. Murderous indictments can be neutralized, and what seems permanent sometimes can be amended, even nullified, nullified by the countermeasures of God. But this impending doom and gloom still hung over the Jews. Although Haman was dead, to the Jews, his shadow still loomed menacingly across the land. Their days were numbered. They were marked people, targets for destruction, and they were living in a death row atmosphere of impenetrable doom. It was like dead people walking. That is, until they received the second edict, in verses 15 through 17. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a large crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. For the Jews there was light and gladness and joy and honor. And in each and every province and in each and every city, wherever the king's commandment and his decree arrived, there was gladness and joy for the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many among the peoples of the land became Jews, for the dread of the Jews had fallen on them. I thought that last statement was amazing. Many among the people of the land became Jews, for the dread of the Jews had fallen on them. Walls that can fall on any day. 
The walls in Jericho, Medo-Persia, and Berlin seemed impregnable, immovable, yet they fell. And they, their collapse was felt throughout the world. The walls that fall in our own lives may not send tremors across the whole earth. But nonetheless, there is equally important, formidable obstacles and equally frustrating to overcome. We're not talking about bricks and mortar or barbed wire or masonry. We're talking about the walls of stubborn wills, the walls of prejudice. Prejudice has been around since the beginning almost, and it's not confined to a certain race of people. Every ethnic group, every every race has it. It seems like in some it seems more than others, but nonetheless, it's, it's, it's like a disease that affects us all to a degree, and it, and it has to be eradicated. And we who are in Jesus Christ are here to help eradicate that. The love of Christ should be able to come into our lives and into our hearts and, and into our vision that we see people as humans. There, there are no other distinctions. You know, God sees Jews and Gentiles, but the basic class of people on earth today are those in Christ and those who are not. It doesn't matter what race they are. If they're lost, they're lost. So that is, you know, that's the point of that. And you might have a wall of somebody spreading gossip or a slander statement about you. You could have a wall of depression or doom. Walls we run into on a daily basis, wall that kind of dwarf us and discourage us. No no matter how stubborn the will that opposes you, just remember this, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than is he who is in the world. If God is truly for you, who can be against you? The example from Esther should be of real encouragement to us. When things seem unchangeable, they are not. God can tear down the wall of a stubborn heart just as easily as he can those of a fortified empire. Maybe though the wall that towers above your life is not a stubborn will, but a slander statement. Maybe it's a damaging document or juicy morsel of gossip that's going around about you, that's being passed around. If so, remember the edict of Haman. Even though it seemed irrevocable, it wasn't. The edict from Esther and Mordecai, in effect, annulled it. It superseded it. It overruled it. And God can do that for you and I as well with his word. Perhaps, though, the wall that surrounds you is not a stubborn will or a damaging document. It may be a wall of depression and doom. And even though those feelings seem impenetrable, they're not. Just like the gloom that hangs over the Jews, the cloud of despair that hovers over your life can be chased away and your life can once again be filled with the sunshine of hope. Walls take on many forms. We can sit here the rest of the day and name them. Some can be physical. Others can be psychological, financial, emotional, spiritual, relational, racial, religious, or material. So let me ask you this morning as your pastor and your friend and as your brother in Christ, what wall do you find yourself up against? How do you feel about that wall? Why does it seem so immovable or impenetrable? What would God have to do to bring that wall down in your life? How frequently do you pray for God to tear down that wall? I don't think some of us are persistent enough sometimes in prayer. We only ask once, and I 
think God wants us to ask over and over again. It keeps us close to him, actually. This didn't make the headlines, but the story behind the toppling of the Berlin Wall is a story of prayer. For 10 years, Christians gathered in a church in Leipzig, East Germany, to pray for the wall to come down. 10 years. In the final months before the breakdown of the communist state and the walls collapsed, thousands of Christians met daily to pray for that end in meetings that spilled over into gigantic demonstrations. We see protests today, gigantic protests. So that's what these people were doing, but they were praying. Tennyson was right when he said, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Prayer was not only the force behind the wrecking ball that tore the Berlin Wall down. It was the force that can bring down any wall in your life, too. If you need some encouragement in this area, read Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Or perhaps you're an expert wall builder. You excel at it. It comes easy and natural for you. In all of your relationships, in all your dealings with life, you build walls and it gets to be a habit. Simon Garfunkel's lyrics fit you to a capital T from their song entitled I Am a Rock. Verse 2 goes like this. I've built walls, a fortress steep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. Maybe that describes you. But you won't let down your guard to do that, but you build those walls. In the 17th century, Richard Lovelace wrote, Stone walls do not a prison make, nor iron bars a cage. What Lovelace said is true. Although walls may endorse or enclose your body, they cannot imprison your spirit and your heart, unless, of course, you let them. Proverbs warns of walls that can separate even the closest of relationships. Verse 19 of chapter 18. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. If you get a chance this week, look up the following passages, discover how to bring down the walls that may separate you from others. And I ask you, if you're a wall builder, you really need to do this. Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, verse 29, 31 and 32. Take the verse that God's Spirit impresses upon your heart and make a point to apply it to a relationship where there is a wall. And you pray about that and you pray about how to tear that wall down and then you do something about it. You pick up the phone and text somebody or you call somebody or you get in the car and go see them. God will give us that direction if we ask. There's too many walls built today in our culture, in our society, and sometimes even in the church. I've said this often, that what a great and glorious thing that could be if you and I, when we looked up out upon people in our worlds as we see them as God sees them, as another human being, as somebody that's worthy of redemption, worthy of love, worthy of our respect. So just keep that in mind this week as you pray. Lord, we love you. I realize we're living in stormy times, uh, times where there's a lot of hatred, a lot of unrest, a lot of prejudice going on against certain people and certain classes of people and certain races. 
And I pray, God, as your followers, as your sons and daughters, that we are not in that mix causing problems, but we are helping alleviate it by allowing your love to shine through us to touch others. And as we speak, Lord, we speak through your words and with your opinion and not our own. Not our own, Lord. So I love these guys and just ask that you bless them today, Father. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.